You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Wonderful. I hope you're doing well. Great to have you here at CLM in our second service. If you're here for the first time, I'd like to extend my welcome to you along with those who've already done that. Uh, We're not big followers of the church calendar, although we respect it at a distance. But if you are, then you will be well aware that this Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is, uh, really means the coming. The Advent is that period in the church where particularly the traditional church would move and shift gear and begin to home in on the coming of Christ and the remembering of the coming of Christ, the remembering that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And in this Advent season, it's a season of expectation. It's a season of anticipation. The reality is Jesus is not coming again as a baby. He is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and every eye shall see Him. But he came once and for all. But we remember, and it's good to remember that he came and made his dwelling among us. And so this is Advent, and so you can get an Advent calendar and so on and so forth. If you're not aware of any of that, you probably are aware it's only three weeks to Christmas. And some some people are very excited about that. And why not? It's only three weeks to Christmas. Well, 22 sleeps to be technical. And... uh, If you are a Christmas tree person or a Christmas decoration person, just give me a wave if you've already got your decks up. You're, yeah, okay, brilliant. And uh, what about uh, those who uh, haven't made any start really whatsoever? It's kind of Christmas is just something, it'll it'll arrive, it'll arrive, and uh, you'll be ready on Christmas Eve, and that's for you, that's good enough, because why get ready any earlier? Well, wonderful. Well, this week I was in one of the uh, great Advent stories, and if you've got a Bible, why not turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and uh, if you've not, it's going to appear on the screen in just a moment, and uh, we are in the story of the Archangel Gabriel appearing uh, to Zechariah. Zechariah became the father of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was... Uh, was in, a, in the relationship such that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And, and Jesus was conceived six months after John the Baptist was conceived. But it was an incredible story, an incredible situation. But really, this is the announcement. This is how Luke starts his gospel, telling what happened to Zechariah because John the Baptist came and then Jesus came after John the Baptist. This is what the Bible says. This is Luke 1, verses 5 through to 20. Today, I'm not going to unpack this text as a, as a message that I'm going to exegete, but I noticed something this week that really grabbed my attention, and it's the launch pad for what I want to share today. Verse 5, in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, and he belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. 
Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And we'll leave the reading here. For those of you who are not familiar with the story, you might be wondering what happens next. Well, Zechariah comes out of the holy place. He, according to Lot, his number came up. He was one of 18,000 priests in that year. And once a year, one person was chosen by Lot to go into the holy place, inside the temple while everybody else waited outside. And amazingly, uh, with a one in 18,000 chance, Zechariah's lot came up. And he went in, he had this encounter with Gabriel, and he came out and he wasn't able to speak. But in just a little while later, Elizabeth, his wife, who he said was well along in years. This is a great lesson in tact, guys. Don't know if you noticed that, but Zechariah says, I am very old and my wife is well along in years. I want to say, if, if you are married and you become old, it is wise to say, I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. <laughs> this is what Zechariah said. And, and, but what happened is, Elizabeth, who was well along in years, became pregnant. And the baby was born, but Zechariah was unable to speak. He was mute from the moment of the encounter with Gabriel and what was said to him. But when the baby is born on the eighth day, according to the custom of Israel, there was a naming ceremony. And all of the neighbors and relatives, he said, were gathered and they were ready to call the boy Zechariah because that was his father's name. And that was according to tradition, Zechariah Jr. Zechariah Jr., the 38th or whatever it might have been in that family. And Elizabeth said, no, no, it's not Zechariah, it's John. And so they signaled, the Bible said, to Zechariah to input into this situation. Surely he would want his name carried. And he signaled for a tablet to be brought to him. And he wrote on it, he said, his name is John. And at which point he was able to speak. And the people were amazed and said, what is this child going to become? What, what is this? And it says they all praised the Lord. And Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he praised God. You know, Zechariah was a good man and a godly man. 
But today, the, the thing I want to draw our attention to is the exchange that Zechariah has with Gabriel. And I want to talk today about the importance of proximity. The importance of proximity. Proximity means closeness or nearness. Proximity means in space, time, or relationship to be close or to be near. And what really struck my attention as I read this story is Zechariah, who was a godly man, has an angel appear to him, and he's told that he's going to have a child, but his response is, how can I be sure of this? And Gabriel's answer isn't, well, that's a really good question. Zechariah's answer isn't, well, if I was in your shoes, that's what I'd be wondering. His answer is, I stand in the presence of God. What sort of an answer is that? Zechariah is trying to work out how on earth he can be sure that what has been said to him is true, even though there is an angel in the holy place. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it reads to me like Gabriel is saying, excuse me? How can you be sure I stand in the presence of God, the living God? The, the creator of the heavens and the earth, God. The one who upholds all things by the power of his word. I stand in the presence of the consuming fire. I stand in the presence of the one who created the universe and put thousands upon thousands of stars in the, into sky. I stand in the presence of the one who is able to do all things. I stand in the presence of the one for whom nothing is too difficult. And you dare to ask me how you can be sure of this. You can be sure of it because God said... And what occurs to me is there is this disparity, this mismatch between Zechariah, and I'm not dumbing him down because the Bible says he was a righteous man, a godly man, and a prayerful man. And yet in his humanity, uh, there is uh, uh, this mismatch, this disparity between his position and Gabriel's position. And Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. You'll be silent until it happens. And that's what came to pass. And it occurred to me how important our proximity is. It occurred to me the difference in our proximity that if we stand in the presence of God, we will see things as God sees them. If we learn to be in the very close place with the Lord as I believe He has enabled us to dwell and to be, we will see things differently. We will live our lives differently. We will come up against challenges differently. We will face obstacles differently. We will be from a vantage point of faith if we stand in the presence of God. You see, I'm impacted by my own journey because my journey was one of learning proximity. As a teenage boy, I went along with my mom and my sister to a very high church experience. And when I, I, mean, I mean high church, I'm talking about a very structured uh, liturgy, the, the gospel was sung in Latin. Everybody that was involved uh, wore uh, very ornate robes. There was incense swung. It was a very, very beautiful building. And, and I'm not dumbing that down because we celebrate the different expressions of Christian worship. And there may be some for whom they can find God more in that place than, than in a place of, of less structure and, and not as conformist such as ourselves. But for me, what I experienced in that place was God was real. I believe God was real, but he was so far beyond my reach. I never thought I could possibly come to know him. 
I believed in him. There was a reverence that we as charismatics and Pentecostals need to be careful not to miss. But although there was a reverence, he was way out of my grasp. And then I had the experience a few years later of going along to a very, very different style church with a a guitar and a keyboard and a few people and no structure really at all. But I met a people who had come to know God. This was my big challenge because I, was, I had a plan for my life and I met all these people and they seemed to know him. They didn't just believe in him, they had come to know him. They spoke to him and it appeared that he spoke to them. And I went on a journey of wanting to have what they had. And I came to that incredible moment where I also experienced proximity. I understood that God not only could be known, but actually wanted to be known. That God desired to be known by us. And I have had to attend to my proximity. And I'd like to speak for a few minutes here this morning about the importance of proximity. That we might attend to our own proximity. As I've said here before, I can't do your push-ups for you. You know, if I want to get fit, I can't send Jonathan to the gym for me. Hello? You know, if I want to train for a marathon, I can't say, AJ, could you put in some miles for me this week? I'm a bit busy. And we have to attend to our own proximity to God. But I'd like us to consider these areas today. Firstly, the desire of God to be close. Secondly, the difficulty of distance. Thirdly, the beauty of proximity. Fourthly, the journey to closeness. And finally, what I'm calling the surprise of divine acceleration. Firstly, the desire of God to be close. You see, we have to understand that it is God's great desire to be close to us. It is his great passion. It is his great pursuit. A little theological thought for a moment. It is understood that the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is what theologians would call transcendent. That is to say that the creator is above his creation. He is transcendent above creation. This is the one who spoke and said, let it be. And he is altogether greater than that which he has created. Theology would also say that he is omnipresent, having created the heavens and the earth. He fills the presence, uh, the, the heavens and the earth with his presence. There is nowhere where he cannot be. The psalmist says, where can I go where I will not find you? If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. But also, theologians would understand that God is what we would call imminent. Not imminent, which means about to happen, but immanent, which means actively involved in what he has created. God has chosen not only to create, but to create and be intrinsically involved. This is the God that we serve. I'm teaching you a bit of theology this morning. You can go home and tell someone, God is imminent. And they'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. And you'll say, I can't remember either. (laughs) God delights to be involved. You look through scripture and you see he created man and he breathed his breath into the man's nostrils. He, He walked with him in the garden. Even after the fall, it says that Enoch walked with God. He found a man with whom he could walk. This God, this creator of the heavens and the earth, wanted to walk with someone. What an incredible thought. He spoke to Noah. He made a covenant with Abraham. He encountered Jacob. He appeared to Moses. 
His manifest presence, this omnipresent one, would manifest his presence so that those, uh, those created beings would experience him. He ordained a tent of meeting for the people of Israel so people could come near and know him. This is what the Bible says in Exodus 33. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. He stayed in the presence of God. You know, have you ever thought, what is God playing at? What is God doing? This incredible, awesome, magnificent, supreme consuming fire that he would want to come and encounter people, that he would go and appear to Moses on the backside of the desert in a burning bush and speak with him. It is the great desire of God to be close. Moses says in the same chapter, Exodus 33, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How can he say that? Because he's tasted the presence of God. God has drawn near to them. The Bible says Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. The nearness of God is a wonderful theme in the Bible. God, the Bible says, is near to those who call on him, to all who call on him in truth, Psalm 145. God is near. You know, I've learned to experience that in my life, that whatever may happen, he is near. He's never that far away. He is closer than you might think. As we home in and on this Christmas message over the next few weeks, this is the very story of Christmas, that God the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, or as the message version says, and moved into the neighborhood. Why did he become flesh and make his dwelling among us? Because he wanted to be close. This is the rescue plan of God. This is what redemption means, that God would come in human form because he wanted to be close. And I encourage you to dare to believe that he wants to be close to you. That Jesus, the Son of God, in becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us and living a sinless life and laying his life out on the cross, taking all the sin and the shame and everything that might separate us from God himself upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us and was dead and buried, but on the third day rose again according to the scriptures. Why? That we might come close to him. That in that moment on the cross when he said, it is finished, the Bible says that there was a curtain in the temple, that which separated the holy place where Zechariah was and Gabriel appeared to him from the holy of holies, the holiest place where the ark of God was, the very, the very presence, the manifest presence of God. And that curtain, several inches thick, was rent from top to bottom. What is happening in that moment? God is saying, come right in. As we heard in our early prayer meeting this morning, Jack leading us that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. It is God's great desire to be close that he became Emmanuel. The virgin will be with child and she will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, if we can use a picture just for a moment here today. And you know, no picture will ever adequately describe true theology. So take this with a bit of caution. But it's as if God in the beginning has a, a beating heart that he might draw near to some. 
And so he makes man in his image and likeness. The Bible says he created them male and female in his image and likeness. And it is as if that God longs to be close. The one who is not insecure, who is wholly secure in himself and yet delights and desires to be close. And the story of the Bible is that through sin, God didn't turn away, but man turned away from God. But the great longing of God to be reunited meant that through the work of the cross, and I don't mean to do it down in any way whatsoever, but just to illustrate it, it's as if God draws as near as he can again. In view, if we will only open our eyes, just waiting that we might possibly respond. The Bible says, turn and repent. And what we find through the work of the cross, if we respond, is that we are now closer than ever before because of God's great heart and desire to be close. But we all also have to consider the difficulty of distance. You see, the way has been made. Hebrews 10 19 to 22 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Can we say that together? Let us draw near. Let us draw near to God. This is the great invitation with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. And yet sometimes we fail to draw near, don't we? Don't we? Sometimes we fail to draw near. Or by sin, or by even simple neglect of relationship, we, we withdraw or we might drift Sometimes people say, don't they, I don't know what happened, we just drifted apart. And what can happen sometimes is our relationship with God that was once close is not so close anymore. I remember a few years of being a Christian and just losing my disciplines and losing my way and, and talking to someone and saying, I, I feel a bit distanced from God. I think they must have had an empathy bypass, but they simply said to me, and who moved? I feel a bit distanced from God. Who moved? It wasn't this one. It was this one. And that can happen and we can find the difficulty of distance. I, I know of many people in this church who are trying to outwork distance relationships. And they're not easy. And I, I know many of you who are in those distance relationships for a numbers of reasons. Maybe circumstance or study or work or even a, a visa situation. They're not easy, but I, I, and I know they can work if you work out them. And thank God for Skype and FaceTime and WhatsApp and different ways of staying in touch. But I don't know a single couple who are in love who would choose a distance relationship as a first instance. I remember Esther and myself when we were dating before we got married. And there would come that time of an evening where one of us had to go home. And I remember that glorious day when we got married and the evening came and no one had to go home anymore. It's just the best thing. It's great. We were both home. The truth is we can be physically apart but emotionally close. We can be physically close but emotionally apart as human beings. In our story, Zechariah is chosen out of 18,000 priests to enter the holy place. 
if you like, in that order of things, he is as close as you can get to God. And yet, by contrast, we see this difference with him and Gabriel. Gabriel's proximity is so different. It's the contrast that shocks me. And sometimes we can find ourselves distanced from God. Maybe we don't know him at all. Maybe you're, you're here and you've never yet given your life to Jesus. You've not come into the first step of a relationship with him. Well, you can do that today. Maybe you've never learned to draw near, never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've lost your way. We can do that. We can be like a coal out of the fire. We once burned bright, but we've become cold. Maybe we've sinned, failed in some way that's caused us to feel separate from God. We've never made it back. We've felt guilty and stayed withdrawn, not daring to venture close again. Maybe we just got busy and allowed other things to consume our focus. Maybe you feel bad when you hear these words, but let me tell you, I can identify with every single one of them. On my walk, I would be surprised if there's a Christian in this room who at some time or other, in some way or other, can't identify with those different experiences of the Christian walk. Never allow the devil to isolate you like you're the only one. It's a classic tactic and it's almost never true. But the question is, what next? And I think we have to remember that God desires us to be close, that God desires us to be in proximity. And I'd, we have to remember the beauty of proximity. We have to remember what it was like to be close to him. You see, this is part of my problem is I've experienced proximity. I have been ruined for anything else. I have come to experience the presence of God. And once you have tasted the presence of God, you can't untaste it. Once, once you've encountered his presence, you're really ruined, a bit like Elijah throwing his cloak on Elisha. Elisha is ruined for anything else other than serving God. And once you've known his presence, then really you can't be satisfied anywhere else. And there can be places where you come into a distance, a little bit more distance than you were. But really, you're, you're going to find a longing sooner or later to be back in that place of proximity. And that has been the experience of my life because I've tasted the beauty of proximity. I love that old chorus, bow down and worship him. Bow down and worship him. Worship him. Oh, worship him. Bow down and worship him. Enter in. Oh, enter in. And if you've ever learned to enter in, you're not going to be satisfied anywhere else. There is something beautiful about being in proximity with the Savior of the world being in a place close to God. Let me remind us that proximity raises faith. This is the, this is the point of Zechariah and Gabriel. I, I stand in the presence of God. You know, I don't think I've ever been to a prayer meeting and finished the prayer meeting with less faith than I started the prayer meeting. Because what happens is you get into the presence of God, you rehearse who He is, and your vantage point changes. You get lifted up to the place where he is. You begin to see things as he sees them. That which seemed too hard now seems so easy. Why? Because our position changes. Proximity raises faith. 
Proximity produces fruit. Jesus in John 15 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to learn to keep the remain thing the main thing. Thank God this is not a gospel of try harder. God has already provided a way. What we have to do is place our effort not on doing good that we might please him, but on remaining in him. Position ourselves. If we are in Christ, if we are close to God, we will bear fruit. Galatians 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control against these things there is no law. So the Bible says. What does it mean? The fruit of the Spirit it means if I am close to God, I will be more like that because He will become more and I will become less. The further away I am, the more inclined I am to be impatient and unloving and unkind. Hello? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Esther will know when I'm in a close place with God and she'll be the first to know when I'm not. The fruit of the Spirit. Let us live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit is what the Bible says. Proximity produces fruit. There's no apple trying to be more apple Straining to be more juicy, straining to have tender flesh and crunchy skin. There's no apple working hard to, on the ground to become more apple Who knows that when it's on the ground, it's just going bad. Just stay in the branch. Proximity produces fruit. Proximity also brings joy. David, who knew proximity as a man after God's own heart, says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. I remember the first time I, I undertook a long fast. And I remember coming to a church service at the end of, of, of seven days, I think, of, of prayer and fasting. First time as a young guy that I'd done it. I remember coming into a worship setting and I just started laughing. There was nothing funny. I just was overcome with joy. I could not contain myself. I wasn't trying to be weird. I wasn't trying to draw attention to myself. I was just overcome with joy that was uncontainable. Why? Because in his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures evermore. Proximity carries peace. Philippians 4 says the Lord is near. Can we say that together? The Lord is near. And then... It says, do not be anxious about anything. But I don't believe these are separate statements. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. 
My friends, clearly there is a component of prayer and petition when we we bring our burdens, they are transferred onto him in the place of prayer. But but let us not miss that the Lord is near. It is because of proximity this, this exchange from anxiety to peace can take place. I could go on and on about the benefits of proximity, but let me home in that we don't miss what I believe is the most important point of all, which is that proximity is home. Proximity to God is our designed place. It is our true north. We were designed for his presence. God created us in his image and likeness to dwell in his presence. Like a fish is for water and a bird is for the air, I believe men and women created in the image and likeness of God are born for the presence of God. That's why sometimes people walk into our meetings and go, I felt like I was coming home. It's not like they ever lived here before. It wasn't like the the red chairs reminded them of the red chairs that they used to have around the dining table when they were kids. What is it? What is it? Is it that we're so friendly? Well, it helps versus us being unfriendly. But I tell you what it is. It's the presence of God. And when people come into the presence of God, they go, I felt like I came home. Guess what? You did. Proximity is home. So how do we make, fourthly, the journey to closeness? Well, if we've never responded to Jesus, firstly, we have to respond to the message of the cross. We have to begin there. We have to ask for forgiveness for our sins and thank Jesus for his death on the cross and invite him into our hearts to begin a journey of knowing him. If we've responded to the gospel but never been filled with the Holy Spirit, then I recommend that you have someone pray with you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk on wine, but be being filled, the present continuous tense, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember the very first time I was filled with the Holy Spirit, become a Christian and went away on a youth camp, and I didn't know, like a friend took me along, I had no idea what I was going to. It was the first time I'd ever camped, it was all like really strange and weird, and I went to a very unusual little place, but in that place, God met me. I remember being filled with the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God filling my being from the inside out, being overcome with a sense of God. I was spiritually alive fully for what felt like the first time. And it's been my goal to remain in that place. Maybe we have created distance by sin. Though being Christian, we we need to see repentance as a gift. Repentance is the way back. Repentance is a beautiful thing that we can come and say, Lord, I'm sorry. The Bible says, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And also, my friends, we have to learn the secret of seeking, that we would seek after God You know, there are places in the the church where I've heard people use the term a seeker to mean someone who is exploring the Christian faith, someone who has not yet decided to become Christian. And in that place, there seemed to be a seeker. I've not met that many people that are not yet Christian who are really actively seeking. 
But maybe they are, and maybe they, but they come to a place of finding him, and then th- there are those portions of the church will say they're not a seeker anymore because they become a Christian. Let me tell you, we need to continue to be seekers. We have to continue to seek after him because if we seek him, we'll find him, and we have to keep on finding him. Let us not lose that, that seeking component of our lives. A.W. Tozer, in his magnificent book, The Pursuit of God, he talks about the need to keep pursuing him. He, he, he warns about the, even the application of the biblical truth of justification by faith, saying if we're not careful, it becomes just a religious transaction. He says Christ may be received without creating any special love for him in the soul of the receiver. The person is saved but is not hungry nor thirsty after God. But he said, but we must pursue God. He says, the continuous and unembarrassed interchange of love and thought between God and the soul of the redeemed person is the throbbing heart of New Testament religion. And I believe that with all my heart. What's Tozer saying? He's saying we must continue to go after God. We must be those that pursue him, that we would go after proximity. Friends, not, let's not stop being seekers. Someone asked me this week, how do I continue to keep the things of the Holy Spirit alive in me? And I said, well, firstly, I, I actively pursue the manifest presence of God in my life. I become twitchy if I haven't sensed the presence of God for a, a day or two. I, I notice, I become aware. I'm a worshiper, and often I'll, I'll just begin worshiping right where I am, just to draw near to him. I've learned the discipline of speaking in tongues a lot. The Bible says we edify ourselves. When we do that, we build up our spirit man, if I can use that term. I've learned the relentless attending to my own heart, the tenderness of my heart. I work hard to make sure there is no held anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, or hardening taking place there so I can be tender towards God. And I recognize the power of his word. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I know only too well the absence of his word leaves me prone to drift. The presence of his word keeps me close. But as I finish, I'd like to speak about the surprise of divine acceleration. And I say that because it was a surprise to me. I remember becoming a Christian at the age of 17. And at about a year later, I was, I was away at university. Maybe it was 18 months later. And I'd gone through a period of time where I'd neglected the things of God, where my prayer life had been probably non or little existent, where I, I hadn't really been in the Bible at all, and my behavior, moreover, had not been particularly godly. And I remember being in a church service, I'm feeling convicted that I was a long way from where I needed to be, that that place that I'd begun to experience with God, I had now drifted from, and I was not in a good place. And something awoke in me that I needed to put it right. And I made a decision that I was going to pray and fast for two days in order to try and work myself back into a decent place with God. It's the first time that I tried to make a journey like that since becoming a Christian. And I just figured that if I drifted over three months, then maybe over two days of hard work, I could just make some headway. I didn't quite know how it worked. You know, like it's like maybe falling out with somebody and you're just not sure how quickly things are going to be put right. 
And it wasn't that I really felt like praying because you probably know that the more you pray, the more you want to pray. And the less you pray, the less you want to pray. The more you read the Bible, the more you want to read the Bible. And the less, the less. And as I hadn't been attending to these things, I didn't have great appetite, but I knew I needed to do something. And so I made my decision. And I remember on that first day, I thought maybe if I can move from a minus seven in the first day, if I pray hard and and, and I read the Bible a lot and I don't eat any food, maybe I can move from a minus seven to a minus three. Maybe if on the second day, if I work hard, maybe I can get myself to a zero before God and then there's a platform to begin to move forward. And on that first morning, I opened my Bible and I I read a couple of chapters. It wasn't particularly alive to me, but I did what I'd set out to do. And then for the first time, I put it down. And first time in a little while, I began to pray and I opened my heart to God. And I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something like, Father, forgive me. And at that moment, the presence of God filled my little room. In that moment, I went from a minus seven to something like a plus eight. I discovered the secret of what I would call divine acceleration, that I just made a little move. I really didn't do very much. I didn't need to thrash myself. I didn't need to spend 48 hours. It wouldn't be bad for my disciplines, but I just made a little bit of a move. And what I found was that God in His grace didn't stay put out here, but He rushed towards me. That He came to renew relationship with me. James chapter 4 says it like this, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. In one of the most profound statements to me of the whole Bible, the story, the parable of the lost son. It says, when he came to his senses and said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father and this is what amazes me. It says, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. This God that desires to be close. And as we come to a a finish today, I want to encourage us to be a people that attend to our own proximity that we don't neglect the importance of proximity in our lives, that that we don't crash on trying to do stuff to impress God because we won't manage to do that, but we actually attend to our relationship with Him. That we know not only do we need Him more than we need anything else, but He desires to be close to us. And I wonder if the musicians can come and join us. We're gonna sing an old chorus, Draw Me Close to You. And as they come, I wonder if you could take a moment where you are just to examine the state of your own heart today. Maybe you're in a great place with God. Maybe you are walking closely with Him more than ever before. And that's such a wonderful place to be. But I know that we people here today and this message speaks to you because you're not where you would like to be. You're not where you know you ought to be. But let me tell you, if you make a move towards Him, He will make a move towards you.
because this is the one that we serve. And as we sing this song, we'll sing it as a response here today. I encourage you to enter in to the words. But there might be some who need to come and stand and come down the front. And don't be embarrassed about what other people think. It's none of their business. But a moment to say, Lord, here I am. I come to you. I draw near. I want to know you. I want to be close to you. Forgive me. Maybe some of us need to come and say, forgive me. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that thing that I've done. I'm sorry that I've just neglected you. But in a moment, I believe you can know the presence of God. You can know the secret of divine acceleration as he comes and encounters you. Can we stand together? I'm going to pray and the band are going to lead us. I'm going to invite you, if you need to step out of your seat, to come. Renew your relationship with the one who loves you. Renew your relationship with the one with the one who desires to be close. Lord, we say thank you today. Thank you, you are so loving. Thank you, you are so gracious. Thank you, you have made a way. Thank you, God, that, that you have opened up a way that we can come boldly into your presence. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness that when we mess up, we can come and be reunited with you. Thank you, Lord, that you are so gracious with us and you are so kind.